Just if you have your Bibles, we'll be open, uh, uh, preaching out of John chapter 19, 1 through 15. I'll be reading out of the NASB version, but before we do that, I just want to give an introduction. And I think this will help lay great context for John 19. And uh, I've been, just give you a little insight of what's been going on to our home before we to lay some groundwork here. Our family during this coronavirus era, quarantine era, I should say, uh, we've been doing a lot of different things together. One things that we've been, one of the things that we've been doing, we've been enjoying is playing games together. You know, I mean, whether it's on the uh, uh, Madden, on our on our Xbox, or we've been playing a lot of board games, and we kind of took it back to the old school a little bit, and uh, we started playing chess. All right, and I like chess. I mean, I didn't grow up playing chess, but me and the children, we get to play a game of chess. And I like it because there's a lot of strategy involved. There's a lot of different parts, a lot of different pieces, and there's a lot of strategy that goes on involved in the game. And you need to anticipate a lot of moves ahead of time if you're going to be successful. And, and I want to just talk about two pieces in the game of chess. The most important piece is the king. All right. The king is the one that you need to protect. The king is the one that the game revolves around. All right. You do everything you can. You'll sacrifice all the other pieces to protect your king. And then here's the pawn here in this hand. The pawn. There's, there's only one king, but there's eight pawns on, on, on the board. And the pawn is seen as, you know, the expendable one, you know, non-essential compared to the king. This is the one you'll sacrifice to get bigger pieces and ultimately to protect the king. This is the pawn. And the goal, like I said earlier, of chess is to have enough strategy to capture the, your opponent's king. That's what, that's what the goal is, to protect your king at all costs. So this week... This week out of John 19, we have a continuation of a political chess match that's been going on. All right, this political chess match has two players involved. They have the Jewish leaders on one hand, and the other side of the board is Pontius Pilate. All right, and they're basically playing this game out in Pilate's courtroom or courtyard. And they have a genuine hatred for one another. They do not like each other. It's clear. Not only do they have opposing objectives in mind, they hate each other. And it's getting more and more apparent how much animosity is between these two. And both, both of them have their own selfish ambitions. And one ambition is that, you know, the, the Jews want to protect their religious power. And that's their king. They're trying to protect their religious power. And the other side, Pilate is trying to protect his Roman political power. That's his king. So both of them are posturing to protect their king. And Jesus, the king, the most important one of us all, is treated like a pawn. They basically move him around, move him around to, to secure what they want, to protect their king. Jesus is treated like a pawn, a non-essential expendable, sacrificial peace. That's Jesus. That's how they treat him. So the Jews, they want Jesus dead. The, G the Jews see Jesus as a threat to their, pol uh, to their religious political power. 
and they condemn them. The Sanhedrin, the, the, the ruling religious power, condemns them to death. But they have a problem, right, as we talked about last week. So some of this will serve as a review. They, they're not able to execute them legally. So what do they do? What's their first move that they do? Well, the Jews come up to Pilate because they need the civic courts or the civil courts to get involved to execute Jesus. And they, they offer this up. They say, Pilate, Pilate, this, this is the first move. Pilate, Jesus is, claims to be a king and he's a threat to Caesar, right? Because Pilate wouldn't care about their religious convictions. He just cares, is, is, is anyone a threat to Rome, a threat to Caesar? That's what they do. They, they make up this idea. And then, but Pilate's more shrewd than that. Pilate's not going to fall for that. Pilate knows that he's being used. Pilate knows, as it says in Matthew 27, that they're doing it out of envy and strife. They're doing this out of envy. He knows their hearts. And he even declares, I find no guilt in him. All right? So he knows that Jesus is innocent. But Pilate being the shrewd politician, knows he has to play this game in order to secure and protect his, uh, his interests, his king. So what does Pilate do? What is his move to, to counter the Jewish people's moves, the Jewish ruler's moves? Well, what Pilate does is, all right, I'm going to send him to King Herod. I'm going to send him to their king, their vassal king. Caesar's really the one in control, but King Herod is the vassal king. And I'll, send, I'll put it into King Herod's court. So Jesus goes to King Herod. This is out of the Gospel of Luke. And then and, and King Herod sends him back saying, he's innocent. So Pilate says, I see him as innocent. Your king, King Herod, sees him as innocent. And the Jews respond, crucify him. Crucify him. Not good enough. So what's Pilate's next move? He's thinking, hmm, what should I do next? I got it. I got it. I'm going to offer up. Barabbas, Barabbas, Who, who's Barabbas in review last week? He's a known terrorist to Rome. He's a murderer. He's a notorious prisoner. So all the Jews knew who he was. He's thinking, Pilate must have been thinking, surely they're not going to ask for Barabbas and they'll let Jesus go. This Jesus is innocent. They, surely they'll do this. And so when, Jesus, when, when, the, when the Jews are presented with this option, do you want Barabbas or Jesus? What do the, what are the, Jew, what are the Jews move? He goes, not this man, but Barabbas. They chose Barabbas. This is what the chess game has led to. So today we're talking about the suffering king. And before we even get to the cross, Jesus the king suffers a lot. And we need to see this at a John chapter 19, 1 through 15. How much our Lord suffers? How much our Lord suffers? So my question is, how did Jesus suffer during this time? And how was he pawned in this political chess match between Pilate and the Jews. So if you're able to, please turn with me to John 19. Let's rise if you can. John 19, 1 through 15. And we're going to see how the suffering deepens for our Lord here. John 19, God's word says this. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail! Hail! 
king of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Verse 5, Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. So when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you know that I have authority to release you? And I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Verse 14. Now was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold, your king! So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to understand your word. Thank you that we get to hear your word preached. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, everyone. Let's have a seat. What a privilege it is to preach on Christ. And thank you, church family, for the opportunity to preach almost weekly for the opportunity to preach about our Lord and open up the Bible. It's a great privilege. So let's get right back, right into it. How did Jesus suffer? Point number one. Point number one, he suffered as the man. Jesus suffered as the man. Jesus, our Lord, took on human flesh. He was fully God, we'll find out in a moment, but also fully man. He understood every suffering, all the things that Pastor Victor just talked about, he felt and experienced. So he understands what you're going through and what I'm going through. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh. Jesus is fully man, at the same time fully God. So what's Pilate's move? How does he... How does he decide to maneuver? What, how does he pawn Jesus off to secure his king? Political power. Well, Luke 23, 16 says that I, this is, gives us a little insight into Pilate's mind, I will punish him and then release him. I'm going to punish him, appease the Jews, and then I'll release him. 
Verse 1 right here says of John 19, 1. Pilate then took Jesus and scourged him. Jesus experienced intense physical suffering. In, in Isaiah 53, verse 5, which is written 700 years before this time, 700 years before the Lord prophesied through Isaiah that by his scourging, we are healed. This is talking about Jesus, how he will be scourged. Now, it's important now, brothers and sisters, that we understand what scourging is. In order to fully understand more what our Lord went through, we need to understand what scourging is. Your Bible may say flogging. Now picture this with me. This is from D.A. Carson in his commentary in the book of John. This is what he writes. D.A. Carson writes, describing what a scourging is. The the verberatio, the most terrible scourging of all, and one that was always associated with other punishments, including crucifixion, in this last form, the victim was stripped and tied to a post and then beaten by several torturers. In the Roman provinces, they were soldiers until they're exhausted or their, or their commanding officer called them off. For victims who, like Jesus, were neither Roman citizens nor, nor soldiers, the favored instrument was a whip whose leather thongs were fitted with pieces of bone or lead or other metal. The beatings were so savage that the victim sometimes died. Eyewitness records report that such brutal scourgings could leave victims with their bones and entrails exposed. So this scourging was significant. This scourging was intense physical suffering. How did Jesus suffer? He suffered as the man. He felt intense physical suffering. When one soldier got exhausted, here come the next one with his instrument of torture and he, was, he scourged the Lord. When that uh, soldier got tired, then here comes the next one, and then the next one, and then the next one. As D.A. Carson ex- writes, oftentimes many of these people would have died. Jesus experienced intense physical suffering, or his back was laid bare, bleeding. Let's go on here. Verse 2. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. How did all Jesus suffer as the man? Jesus also suffered emotional suffering. Pastor Victor talked about it for the children and the heart. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was mocked mercilessly. This crown of thorns, many of us have seen pictures of this online or just various diagrams. But as I study this, these, this crown of thorns was likely made out of, out of the date palm. And what they do, did was the soldiers would probably weave these date palms uh, together with these incredible thorns and spikes coming out of these date palms. And some of these date palms were reached up to 12 inches a foot long. And as these things are woven together into the shape of a crown, the soldiers mocking Jesus as a king 
would jam that crown onto our Lord's head and like razor blades cut into our Lord's skin and carve his skull and blood would run down his face. And as, as his back was bleeding, perhaps even his bones and his organs exposed, they put on a purple robe to mock him. And as they mocked him, they say, Hail, the king of the Jews! And they will slap him and strike him in the face. Jesus experienced not only physical pain in this moment, now he's experiencing emotional pain as he's being mocked. He's being mocked. He's being treated like a pawn by these soldiers. But I can't help but think of also another type of suffering that he experienced as this whole scene is going on, the scourging scene, the crown and the robe as he's being mocked. I can't help but think of with every lash that he took, every slap in the face that he endured, every unkind mocking word by these soldiers reminded him of the betrayal that he went through from Judas to all the other disciples that fled him. Relational suffering. Relational suffering. Our Lord suffered incredibly as a man. And I had the privilege one time of uh, going to a pastor's conference and uh, a very special speaker came. Incredible woman. Incredible sister in the Lord. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. Johnny Erickson Tata is a Christian author, speaker. She's the founder of Johnny and Friends, who their model is share hope through hardship, ministering the gospel. This sister is ministering the gospel through her suffering. How much has this sister suffered? Well, she's 70 years old now, but in her early years, perhaps in her late teens, early 20s, she suffered a diving accident as she dove into water. Her head struck rock and her neck was broken. So for over 50 years, she had been living as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. And she said she's in chronic pain every day and it's getting worse. And if that wasn't enough, in 2010... She was diagnosed with her first bout with, uh, with breast cancer. And, then, and she was clear for quite some time. In 2018, a second diagnosis of breast cancer came. And she's going through this uh, interview in, on the Gospel Coalition. And she says something so profound. She says something so profound. She said, she, quoting her, she said, she's talking about suffering because she says, suffering, it's a platform that gives one authority. Someone who suffers is able to have empathy and understanding for those who are going through suffering. She said that they know what they're talking about. So when someone like John Erickson Tata suffers so much, and she says, hey, let's look to Christ Let's look to Christ. Christ gives me peace. She said, in essence, 
those are the people who've been gone through the same thing as she does, and they proclaim these things with a smile. Gives them credibility, gives them authority to speak on suffering. Hebrews chapter 4 says that Jesus has been tempted in every way. He could sympathize with us as our high priest. Jesus has gone through the worst type of suffering as a man. He knows and understands what you and I are going through physically, emotionally, in our hearts. Suffering. Our Lord understands what you and I are going through. Even if others don't quite understand, our Lord understands. There's a great comfort in that, brothers and sisters. Going back to this chess game that Pilate and the Jews are playing, verse 4 says this, Pilate brings Jesus out, dressed with a purple robe, crowned with a crown of thorns, beaten, bloody, bruised, broken. And this is what he says at the end. Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him. See, he's not guilty. How can he, this man, be the great usurper of Rome? Verse 5, Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Behold, the man! He goes, This man? Are you serious, Jews? This man is a threat to Caesar? Are you kidding me? So Pilate is thinking, Hmm, I got him. I got him. They have no choice but to release Jesus now. All right? How do the Jews feel about this? Well, let's read verse 7 here. This is how the Jews counter. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. See, Pilate was able to maneuver and unmask the Jews to have them declare the real reason for having Jesus tried to death. It wasn't because they felt like he was going to be a usurper of Rome that they believed that he was a threat to Rome. They didn't care about Caesar and the Roman Empire, but they claimed that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. He made himself out, he made himself out to be the Son of God. So how did Jesus suffer? Point number two, Jesus suffered as the Son of God. Now, throughout my time, you know, just, just witnessing to people in, in, in the secular world and just other places of family and friends, you know, th- this type of question has come up. Has Jesus ever claimed to be God himself? Wasn't Jesus, you know, a good person? Maybe a prophet? Maybe a, a created son of God? You know, I think these are more acceptable to some people. Did Jesus ever claim to be God? And that's important. Now, perhaps you're, as you're watching right now from home or wherever you're at, you're thinking that same thing. Yeah, did Jesus ever claim to be God? This is a very critical question to answer. Very important. Let's turn to John 10. 
Let's turn to John 10 here. I'm going to read John 10, verse 30. And this is where Jesus, in context of John 10, verse 30, Jesus is saying how, the, how he will never let go of his sheep. That's, that's the church, you and I. How the Father is also gonna, not, never going to let go of the sheep and no one can get them out of the Father's hand. Now we're eternally secure in our Lord's hands. Verse 30, this is how, what Jesus says. I and the Father are one. We're one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Why were, why were they ready to kill him there? Verse 32, Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? I've done many miracles. Which of these miracles are you going to kill me for? And then here it is, verse 33. The Jews knew exactly what Jesus is saying when he says, I and the Father are one. The Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. What's blasphemy? And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Jesus, in no unclear terms, in the scriptures, in particular the book of John, no unclear terms, declares himself to be God, to be divine. He's God. So if you're ever wondering, did Jesus ever claim to be God? Yes and yes. And the Jews are, are actually validate this claim by him. So right there, the Jews, they're forced to make their move, and boom, they take off their masks. It's because of blasphemy, because this man claimed to be God is why we bring him to you. And in verse 8, therefore, Pilate is terrified. It says he was very afraid. He was frightened. He was absolutely terrified. The Romans were superstitious. They believed in a lot of different gods. And he's probably wondering and remembering his wife coming to him out of Matthew 27 and says, do not have nothing to do with this man because this, I was troubled greatly in a dream because of him. Let him go, Pilate. Husband, let him go. Do not mess with this one here. There's something different about him, his wife said. So Pilate is probably is frantic thinking, I've just had this man scourged and he's going to come back and get me. He has divine powers. He's terrified. So Pilate hustles back in to talk to Jesus privately. Probably you could see the frantic nature and, and, and his eyes showing terror. And, but, and he's asking, who are you? And then Jesus doesn't even answer, which probably makes him even more upset and terrified. terrified. But verse 10, look at this play that happens here. Verse 10, so Pilate said to him, you do not speak to me? What's wrong with you? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Don't you know, Jesus, I have the power of life and death right now in, in my hands? So Pilate thinks he has some kind of control. Our Lord responds in this way. Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. You don't hold the powers of life and death. I hold the powers of life and death and I've allowed you to be in this position. Jesus is saying. And also to even add to this, Jesus performs a divine act here. 
because only God alone is able to make judgments. Verse 11, at the end. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has a greater sin. Jesus is judged, has judged perhaps Caiaphas, because Caiaphas is the head of the Sanhedrin who sent Jesus into this situation. Caiaphas has had knowledge of the Old Testament. Caiaphas has seen Jesus in the flesh. Caiaphas had an opportunity to interview him. Caiaphas has heard and seen miracles done by Jesus. Yet Caiaphas offers Jesus up as a pawn to be part of this trial before Pilate. So Jesus is perhaps saying, Caiaphas, you're guilty, Pilate. You're going to be guilty because you're going to condemn an innocent man. But there's others who know more who are going to be more culpable for this sin. All sin will be judged, Jesus is saying. But some sins are more culpable than others. So what's Pilate's move? What's Pilate's move? As Pilate, I can imagine Pilate right now frantic in his chambers, like, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? At verse 12 says, as a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. I have to let this man go. Now, what, how did the Jews respond? The Jews are going to make a very strategic move. Very strategic. It's going to... It's going to deliver the death blow to Pilate. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar. Check. Pilate's king was threatened now. Pilate has to respond. Pilate's king is threatened by saying, you are no friend of Caesar. That mortal blow that the Jews strategically moved to attack Pilate's king because everything in Pilate's life was attached to Caesar. Caesar, having a good relationship with Caesar meant that Pilate will have possession. Having a good relationship with Caesar meant Pilate will have power, prestige, Comfort, all his possessions were tied into Caesar. So when the Jews go, check, we got you, Pilate. What are you going to do? All that fear, all that I got to let Jesus go, goes out. The Jews were saying, we're more loyal to Caesar than you are. We're going to get word back to Caesar that you're not protecting Caesar's interests. We are taking care of Caesar more than you are, Pilate. Horror. Pilate must be shaking at this point. And then verse 13, this is what Pilate does. Therefore, it says, therefore, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat. Pilate is ready to cast judgment on Jesus now because they got me. He must have been scrambling for answers, but right now there's nothing. His mind and his heart are blank. His face must be pale. They got me. I will not jeopardize my relationship with Caesar. I will not have one of these Jews go back to Rome and have these things whispered into Caesar's ears. I will not let this happen. And what does Pilate do? Pilate sits down at the bema seat, the judgment seat, in front of everyone and casts judgment upon Jesus and acquiesces to the Jews. 
Now you may ask, Pastor Rocky, how did Jesus suffer as a son of God? Let me just read, give you an illustration. I'm going to go to Job, Job 38. Job, right before the book of Psalm, verse 38. Job is a man who suffered greatly. Job is a man who suffered greatly, a righteous man. The Bible says, God allowed him to suffer greatly. And Job started asking questions. And this is God's response. Verse 38, I mean chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job. Yahweh answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, all right? Job, gird up your loins. You don't judge me. I'm going to be the one asking you questions now. I'm the one that sits as judge. You do not judge me. I will ask you questions. And I will ask you and you will instruct me. You will tell me, verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? I tell, tell me if you have understanding. Who sets its measurements since you know? Some sarcasm. Or who stretched out the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who enclosed the sea with doors? Who keeps the water from going onto the land? Right? When bursting forth, it went out from the womb. When I made a cloud of its garments and thick darkness, its swallowing band, and I placed boundaries on it, and I set a bolt and doors, and I said, thus far you shall come, but no farther. And here shall your proud waves stop. I'll stop right there. God is basically questioning Job, saying, were you there when the universe was created? Were you there when I, I formed the oceans and I set the shoreline? When, when somehow the water stops at a certain point constantly. Were you there? Were you there? So how did Jesus suffer? Going back to John 19. How did Jesus suffer? Well, think about it, brothers and sisters. The eternal one was judged by the temporary governor. The creator is sentenced by the created one. The all-powerful one is pawned by the weak-willed pilot. Think how much suffering that is. Man does not sit in judgment of God, but Jesus allowed himself to be judged right there by Pilate of all people. Our Lord suffered as the Son of God. So right here, Pilate is defeated. All right, he, he had to acquiesce. They got me. The Jews got me. The Jews got me. But Pilate isn't done yet. He doesn't go away quietly. He, he's reduced to ridicule now only. I mean, there's nothing he could do now. He, Jesus has been sentenced. He's simply reduced to ridicule. On his way down, on his way down, he has one last parting shot for the Jews. Pilate's final move. In verse 14, he says this, Behold your king! Behold your king. And will, will the Jews take the bait? Will the Jews take the bait? They already got what they wanted because 
but because they're so blinded, because their hearts were so hardened, so hardened. Do you know people that way? Do you know people that way who are so hardened, so blinded, so bloodthirsty, that the Jews didn't have to do anything? Well, Pilate's move unmasks them even more. <laughs> they call themselves lovers of God. Pilate goes on to say, verse 15, So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Final move, check. As he's on his way down, Shall I crucify your king? Shall I crucify your king? And this is how they respond. The chief priests, Annas, Caiaphas, the leaders of the Jewish uh, uh, religious community, answered, We have no king but Caesar! What? What? That's how darkened they were. They didn't have to say a word. They already had what they wanted. They, that comes out of their hearts. Jesus said, right, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. So how did Jesus suffer? He suffered, third point, as the king. He suffered as the king. You say, how did he suffer as a king, pastor? How did he suffer? Well, anyone who's been in any capacity as a leader, you know, whether you're the president of the United States, whether you're a pastor, whether you're head of your home, whether, whether you're a coach of a team, whatever it may be, the hardest thing, one of the hardest things for a leader is to suffer rejection. Jesus, the rightful king, is rejected by the Jews, God's own people. That's hard. Jesus suffers through this. Although he knew this would happen, this is a hard thing to hear. Rejection. We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Jesus was rejected by his own. Jesus was re rejected by his own. But not only that, brothers and sisters, not only did the Jews reject Jesus as their Messiah, they in effect reject God as being their king. Whew, mask was completely off. The Jews' king was not the God of, of, of Jacob, as we sang earlier, but the, the Jews' king was maintaining religious, political power. In Israel. Our Lord suffered greatly. He suffered greatly. I mean, our Lord allowed Himself to go through these things. He allowed this to happen. All right? As we learned in other sermons, He was in complete control, but He allowed Himself to be treated as a pawn, as a pawn. He suffered as the man, physical emotional, relational suffering, intense suffering. He suffered as the Son of God. 
The created one, Pilate, judges the creator, suffering as a son of God. Thirdly, he suffered as the king, rejected by Pilate, but rejected by the Jews. I want to conclude with this point here. Let's turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Mark, go back two books to the left. Mark chapter 1, okay? Although Jesus was treated like a pawn, as the non-essential, expendable, sacrificial pawn to secure some worldly glory, he's really the king. He's really the king king of the universe, king of heaven, king of the church, head of the church. And Jesus, we'll say checkmate. Jesus, we'll say checkmate to the Jews. Jesus, will say checkmate to Pontius Pilate. And Jesus will say checkmate to you and I. Jesus wins. And I want to just go... Go to Mark chapter, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. This is what Jesus came preaching. Jesus came to set up his kingdom, and he came to get his people. That's you and me, the church. And this is what we're called to do. This is his preaching ministry. This is what Jesus preached. A little bit of context. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, his cousin, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days by Satan himself. And then Jesus begins his ministry. And this is what he get, begins to preach in Galilee. Verse 14 of Mark chapter 1. Now after John had been taken into custody, this is John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee, northern Israel, his home region where he grew up. What did he do? Preaching the gospel of God. Preaching. Jesus is a preacher. And saying, what, what was his message? What was Jesus the preacher's message? Verse 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here right now. What is the king saying? Jesus is the king. What is the king saying to the people in Galilee and to us today? What is the remedy? Repent. And believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does repentance mean? Perhaps somebody right now, as you're watching and listening, you know that Jesus is not your king. And you know that you sit in judgment with Pontius Pilate and the Jews. What does it mean to repent? It means this. You turn away from living for yourself. You turn away from living as your own king and as your own God. And you turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, you're my king. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be a disciple of you. Jesus, you're my king. That's what it means, turning away from our own sin, turning away from following after our, our own desires and wants and following after Jesus. 
That's what it means. I agree with you, Jesus. I am a sinner. I've done sinful things. I've thought crazy things. I've done crazy things. I've said crazy things. I am a sinner. I know you're going to judge me someday. I want to turn to you now. I'm tired of living for myself as king or tired for living for the Caesars in my life. Second part, Jesus says, believe in the gospel. Repent and believe. Repent and believe. Believe. What does that mean? You believe in the gospel message, the good message, the good news. And what is the good news? Three words. Jesus is Lord. That means that Jesus I'm going to trust you as the Lord of my life, the king of my life. Why is this such good news, brothers and sisters and friends out there? Why is this such good news? It's good news because whatever Caesars that we've been following, your role, if you follow any of these kings, is to protect these fake kings. These Caesars in your life, your job is to do whatever it takes to secure and protect these kings. And at the end of the day, these kings will lead you to death and destruction. But Jesus, the real king, takes care of us, covers us, protects us, makes us clean and holy, and gives us life, life eternal with him. So instead of saying, as a Jew said, we have no king but Caesar, Christians, friends, all we need to say is we have no king but Jesus. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. He who is what matters. He allowed himself to be treated like a pawn so that we could be part of his kingdom and he could be our king. Don't we have a great God? Don't we have a great God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time to preach your message. Thank you, Jesus, that you suffered so much for us, Lord. You suffered so much. You suffered as a man in every which way. You suffered as a, as a God-man, as a son of God. And you suffered as the king, rejected. So, Father, I thank you because of your son's suffering. We could repent. And I pray for those right now who need to repent to you right now, who have not given your, their lives to you, Jesus, as their Lord. I pray that they, they will do this right now. They'll cry out to you in genuineness and just cry out to the Lord, I need you. I want to follow you. And I pray for these that they will receive every spiritual blessing that is given through your son, that they would know that they are spiritual sons and daughters because of you, Jesus. And I pray that they will also know that they are holy and blameless because of you, Jesus. Father, thank you for lavishing us with so much of your love through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray, Lord, that all of us who have committed our lives to following Jesus as Lord, will know that we have obtained the inheritance, the divine inheritance that your son has. Thank you, Jesus, 
for suffering for us. Lord, I pray that we would understand this more. I pray that we will love your son more. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.